Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we conclude our series today, God's Rescue Plan, with a message titled Crossing the Red Sea. So turn in your Bibles to Exodus 14, verses 15 to 30, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Great many people know the story of the crossing of the Red Sea, but not many people know the significance of it. And I'm going to start with a place in the New Testament that speaks of its significance for believers today. So let me start there. Find our way back to the original count in Exodus 14. I'm reading from 1 Corinthians 10, 1-4. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. That's a mouthful, but but Paul's telling us that the people of Israel that left Egypt were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, we might at this point ask how the Red Sea crossing, outside of the fact that it involves a lot of water, is like baptism. I think the answer lies in the context of the passage I've just read. Paul goes on from there to tell the Corinthians that now that they've come to Christ, they must never indulge in sexual immorality, nor engage in idolatry in the many temples of Corinth, nor be involved in grumbling against the Lord's leading in their lives. And he introduces this topic by telling believers they must remember the meaning of the Red Sea crossing. It was for them very much like baptism is for us. Baptism symbolizes that we've died to this world and that we're raised now in Christ to newness of life and the way back to our former way of life is now forever cut off. And the Red Sea is that. Once crossing it, there was then no way back to Egypt, even though the rabble in the future would constantly long for it. Now that framework helps us when we study this passage, and it will also tell us why the Red Sea crossing is so much more than a historical account. It's also a spiritual account that every single person who calls Christ Savior and Lord will want to take to heart. So let's begin our study. We find that Israel is now hemmed in by the geography of the land. And before them is the uncrossable Red Sea, and behind them is the approaching Egyptian army, hundreds and hundreds of chariots that were designed to cut them down in mass. Whoever was left would be dragged back to slavery, and that slavery would be much more cruel than they had encountered up till now. And in panic, they blame Moses for their predicament. We never wanted to be freed from Egypt, they say. Why did you show up? Why should we die in this horrible wilderness? We could have died in Egypt in peace, placed into a grave that might have been visited by her children. In response, Moses tells the Israelites not to fear. God will fight for them. They actually won't need to do anything, but pay close attention to what God does for you. Don't say anything, just watch. And with that, we come to today's text, which is Exodus 14, 15 to 18. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they shall go in after them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. So the starting words, why do you cry to me, are really appropriate here. 
If God says, I'm going to rescue you, and he tells you to be quiet, then there's no reason to keep crying out, oh God, rescue me. Listen, quiet your soul. Trust and wait for God. And the next portion of this text is that Israel needs to move forward. They deserve to break camp, round up their animals, have the entire population move toward the sea. It's not a panic run. They're to move in divisions orderly with a sense of confidence. That will take faith. And with that comes a number of very powerful promises. Moses is to lift up his staff and stretch it out over the Red Sea. Of course, we remember that he lifted up his staff and stretched it over the Nile, and it became blood, and then, of course, later on, over the land, and it produced frogs and so forth. The staff is not a magician's wand. It's not used for conjuring. It's a device designed to get everyone's attention to the fact that God's doing it. And so Moses puts out the staff, and then God acts so that Moses will have to act in faith. And then comes the promise, divide the sea, or at God's command, the sea's going to divide. Now, those of us who read the New Testament are not surprised that God commands nature, and nature does his will. I mean, after all, what is Jesus when he walks on the Sea of Galilee? Or when he commands the winds and the waves? Or when he multiplies the loaves and the fishes? What's he doing? He's commanding nature. That's the promise. God will demand that nature, that which he has created and sustains, will always do his will. And furthermore, there are more promises. As before, God will harden Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh will do the ultimately irrational thing. He'll send his chariots in the Red Sea after the Israelites, and God's going to drown them. In this way, all Egypt and all the world will hear that God will be glorified and Israel will be saved. So that's the promise. All they need to do is watch and believe. Two things come to mind, and the first and most obvious is that God is determined to glorify himself in the saving of his people. He could have marched Israel straight into the promised land and wrecked some havoc on the Canaanites, as he had done in Egypt in the series of, you know, ten plagues. But God knew what would sufficiently glorify him. You know, the second thing that comes to mind is that God wanted to close the door to ever going back to Egypt. And you, my dear listener, Don't you know that's what God wants to do to you? He wants to glorify himself to such a degree in your life so that the door back to your former way of life is forever closed. He wants you never to believe, even in your imagination, that you can go that way again. That's a gracious gift from God. God knows how we all have the potentiality of being double-minded. God is determined to end the double-mindedness in you. So we continue to read Exodus 14, 90 to 20. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. You know, go back and refresh your memory, would you, to Exodus 13, 21. There we read that as soon as Israel left Egypt, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them. Another way of saying that is to think of a a great column of cloud stretching from heaven to earth. That is, Israel in their journey simply followed this pillar and understood that the cloud represented God. And we also learned that at night, where one would normally not be able to see this phenomenon, the cloud became a pillar of fire. In this way, they would be able to see, in fact, and this is key, they'd be able to travel at night. Now, this fact, that the light from this column of fire was so bright 
that it would allow for anyone to travel, that comes into play in this story. And you want to also notice that before we're told that God is in the cloud, and now we are told it's the angel of the Lord that's in the cloud. We have to assume that the angel or the messenger of the Lord and God are exactly the same being. So at any rate, Egypt would have gone to battle instantly, allowing Israel no time to get into battle formation or to be orderly in any way. They went straight for battle. You know, from the time Israel saw the chariots to the time of battle, if nothing had happened, that would have probably been a matter of minutes or an hour at most. But God blocks the way of the Egyptian army. And that night, the cloud becomes a column of fire. And that sight by now, expected in Israel, must have startled the Egyptians. It would have allowed the night to be filled with an overwhelming sense of supernatural light. Indeed, had God not hardened Pharaoh's heart, the Egyptians might well have left the field of battle right then and there. Pride, arrogance, unwillingness to accept defeat, that kept the army there. So it's night, and the night's filled with the light of God. Both sides are being kept apart. Israel uses the night to organize. They give instructions as to exactly how the Red Sea is to be crossed. They no doubt all get instructions as to what order they're to cross. I wonder if they would have thought about how God was constantly making a distinction between them and the people of Egypt. You know, when the plagues came on Egypt, Israel escaped. And now on this night, there's great clarity. On one side of the cloud is Egypt. On the other side is Israel. You know, God was doing that. And he continues to do that today. You know, to belong to the church of the living Savior today is to be distinct and separate from the rest of the world. See, even before Israel crossed the Red Sea, God was separating them unto himself. It's as if he was saying, these two people groups will never mingle. One group opposes the purposes of God, and the other group has been called to the purposes of God. That's a beautiful distinction. Would you like to receive all of the latest Back to the Bible Canada, Laugh Again and In Doubt, Bible teaching and encouragement resources directly to your inbox every Monday to Friday? Then be sure to sign up for the free daily audio mail. Every day you'll receive an email containing links to all the daily Bible teaching programs, newest blogs, and all the audio and video messages from Back to the Bible Canada, Laugh Again and In Doubt. Once you sign up, All the newest from Dr. John and Phil will be one click away. So to subscribe for audio mail, visit backtothebible.ca and at the bottom of the page, you'll find a simple sign-up form. Now all your favorite resources will be sent to you every weekday. Or if you prefer, just give us a call at 1-800-663-2425 and we'll make sure you receive the next Back to the Bible Canada audio mail. I'm reading Exodus 14, 21 to 22. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Now, this is the miracle of the dividing of the Red Sea. It didn't happen instantly. It took some time during the night. A strong wind came. 
it must have miraculously driven back only a part of the sea, that is, forming a path. Now to the skeptic. The mention of the east wind is, in their minds, the only historical part of this account. They still think in terms of the, not the Red Sea, but the marshy lakes or the Sea of Reeds. They think the hot east wind must have dried up a part of the lake and lowered the water level, making it temporarily crossable. Now, of course, that view of things simply discounts the fact, first, that there's a God, yes? And second, that God at all moments orders nature. See, from the skeptic's perspective, the world is devoid of God, and nature does its own thing. But for those of us who have come to both believe in God and know him, we know that God has no difficulty ordering nature. Now, it's still night, and the cloud is keeping the Egyptian military men from moving on Israel. And we imagine now that Moses has a number of tribal leaders who are commanding the various groups when they're allowed to move. You know, we're some fearful, we don't know, but it does seem that order was maintained. Two million people, along with livestock, are being directed to cross through the Red Sea. How long did that take? Well, we don't know, but somehow discipline was maintained, and God held the Egyptians back. So notice also that Moses describes the actual event. It's not that the water had receded to some degree. Moses was there. And he says there's a wall of water on both sides to the left and to the right as they walk through. Now to Exodus 14, 23 to 25. The Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Now, our text doesn't tell us, but I think we can assume that by the time the Egyptians pursued, Israel was probably already completely through. We assume, therefore, that while instructions are given and while Israel is moving through, the Egyptians are unable to move. But then we have to assume that the pillar of fire has moved and Egypt sees that Israel has gone through. It must be a a remarkable phenomenon. God is lighting up the darkness. It's very likely that Pharaoh himself is giving the order. I mean, did they think they'd make it through? Well, I think they did. I mean, given that this phenomenon is taking all night long, they have no reason to believe that suddenly these forces will collapse. See, our text says the Lord looked down on the Egyptian forces. And the idea behind that phrase, to look down, is it's not to localize God. You know, as the Egyptians might think of their gods. Rather, it's the idea that God is exalted in power over Egypt. He has to look down at these puny guys who are doing their thing. And then three things happen. First, we have to imagine by divisions, the chariots and their leaders now enter the Red Sea. And we have to assume that the place of crossing is wide enough to allow the entire military, more than a thousand chariots, to enter into the sea. Again, no sea of reeds here. Second, we see that God directed panic among these trained fighting men. Well, how so? We know that the wheels got bogged down. And the next phrase, clogging their chariot wheels, means their wheels became bound. Perhaps the reason was the soft sea floor, but I don't think so. I think God supernaturally made the wheels so that they wouldn't function. And so being unable to drive, completely stalling in the advance, the disorder, the breaking down of the military chain of command, 
panic beginning to ensue. All that served to create chaos. No one was moving. Order was not being restored. And then third, the Egyptians, whether it was their commanders or simply consensus among the troops, they say, we got to get out of here. Stop advancing. Get back to the other side. The entire direction of the army changes. They're convinced that this matter is entirely due to the actions of the God of Israel. They say, we can't fight against him. Exodus 14, 26 to 28. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course. When did that happen? When the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed him into the sea. Not one of them remained. We're left with a clear expression that the crossing of the Red Sea occurred at night. Now we get that idea because of verse 27, that the sea returned to its normal course in the morning when the day broke. So let's try to reimagine the scene. Moses, who earlier stretched out his hand with his staff in it, so that the east wind blew a path for Israel, is again, as the Egyptian army is in chaos with conflicting orders, military discipline disappearing. He's standing on the banks of the sea, and again, he stretches out his staff over the waters. Everyone's eyesight is directed towards Moses. God is Lord of the Red Sea. God commands the sea to do his will. And so the day breaks. The water returns to normal. All the water that covered the enemies of Israel. You know, earlier on, when Israel first caught sight of those chariots, they were told that this army they feared so much, in short order, they would never see them again. And as morning breaks... As Israel realizes the army of Pharaoh is drowned, they now see it's come true. They'll never see this army again. And with that, we come to the summation of the account, Exodus 14, 29 to 31. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power the Lord used against the Egyptians so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Verse 29 is almost a complete repetition of verse 22. Verse 22 describes the event. Verse 29 remembers the event. Moses said it twice because he wants it to sink in. Israel walked through the Red Sea. I mean, think about that. The ground under their feet was dry. Think about that. There was a wall of water on their right and on their left. Think about it. The thing we're supposed to think about is that no such event had ever happened before, nor, might I add, has happened since. That entire nation of two million people, along with their livestock, crossed the Red Sea in this fashion. Is this not a people of holy destiny? Is it not God himself who opened the pathway for them? Moses then adds three thoughts. First, God of Israel saves. There would be no Israel had God not saved them from destruction. Israel exists because of salvation. (laughs) That's something the church of Jesus needs to say as well. We wouldn't be a church. We wouldn't be people freed from our sins if God was not a savior. We can't save ourselves. We needed a Savior, and there was a Savior. Second, Israel saw the great power of the Lord. You know, in the New Testament, the person who has seen God's saving power is called a witness. 
It's not just that we read about it, we've experienced it. And third, the people feared and believed in the Lord. What had caused them to say just the day before, look, Moses, you're a rogue. We didn't want to leave Egypt. We didn't want to die in this desert. What causes such expression? Well, that was a failure to believe in God, fear his name. But we express ourselves differently after we believe. With that, Israel stands on the far side of the Red Sea. The way back is blocked. The baptism has occurred. And of course, there are so many adventures ahead. Now, those adventures, some will be great. Others will be shameful. You know, in the future, Israel would stand before Mount Sinai. They would hear God speaking, giving his rules for holy living. They're going to spend two years in the wilderness. They're going to learn how to worship. And then finally, they come to a place called Kadesh Barnea, where they're going to disbelieve again, just like they did at the Red Sea. They're going to refuse to enter the promised land. That was a tragedy, so much so that the entire generation that crossed the Red Sea never saw the land flowing with milk and honey, the land that was promised to Abraham. Instead, it was their children that inherited the promise. And so the battle of faith versus unbelief never ended at the Red Sea. But what ended was any meaningful opportunity to return to Egypt. The way had to be forward. The road back was shut. Sometimes we call this burning the bridges. But here, it was God that burned the bridges. May we pray on the basis of this study something that sounds like this. Dear Lord, close every door that would ever allow me to go back to the life of sin and unbelief and the life that's displeasing to you. May my baptism forever close the door to the life I once had. Amen. Thanks for your message, John. Thanks for a wonderful series. Let me ask you this final question. You know, so many of God's people seem to struggle with assurance that that once we come to Him, we are His. Help us understand that. Yeah, I think we struggle with assurance for a number of reasons. I mean, one is, I mean, some of us are overwhelmed by the enormity of our sins, and we wonder whether or not, uh, you know, that God would ever forgive someone like me. But when we do that, let me say this, if you're that person, The reason you're struggling is because your eyes are fixed in the mirror and you're looking at yourself. And as long as your focus is on self, you'll never have assurance. So if you could get beyond self and stop staring at yourself and start staring at the promises of God afforded to you in his cross, look at the greatness of God and the promises that he's given and judge that God will never fail, then you will gain all the assurance you need. Thanks again, John, and remember to join us again next week right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. The Back to the Bible Canada Israel experience is a trip like no other, and I'm not the only one who thinks so. A supporter who attended our most recent trip said, listening to Pastor John teach the Bible while looking and breathing the air where the events he speaks about may have actually happened puts doubts of the authenticity of the Bible to rest. So make plans to join an intimate group of spiritual pilgrims this coming spring from April 16th to the 24th, 2023 and consider the optional Jordan extension from April 24th to the 29th. Join us in the Holy Land with on-location teaching from Dr. John Newfeld 
and wonderful evenings of entertainment with Laugh Again's Phil Calloway and very special musical guest, Amanda Stott. For more information, the trip itinerary or registration forms, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.